Motherfucker. Stately, plump, Buck Mulligan came from the stairhead bearing a bowl of lather on which a mirror and a razor lay crossed. A yellow dressing gown, ungirdled, was sustained gently behind him in the mild morning air. He held the bowl aloft and intoned. Intro Ebo day. Halted, he peered down the dark winding stairs and called up coarsely. Come up, Kinch. Come up, you fearful Jesuit. Solemnly, he came forward and mounted the round gun rest. He faced about and blessed gravely thrice the tower, the surrounding country, and the awakening mountains. Then, catching sight of Stephen Dedalus, he bent towards him and made rapid crosses in the air, gurgling in his throat and shaking his head. Stephen Dedalus, displeased and sleepy, leaned his arms on the top of the staircase and looked coldly at the shaking, gurgling face that blessed him. Equine in its length, and at the light, untonsured hair, grained and hued like pale oak. Equine? Like Equine. The, the size of a horse? Yeah. Lo Ooh. Like long. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, but very, yeah, horse-like. Huh. Yeah. Buck Mulligan peeped an instant under the mirror and then covered the, the bowl smartly. Back to the barracks, he said sternly. He added in a preacher's tone, For this, oh dearly beloved, is the genuine Christine, body and soul, body and soul and blood and ounce. Slow music, please. Shut your eyes, gents. One moment. A little trouble about those white corpuscles? Silence. All. He peered sideways, up and gave a long, low whistle of a call, then paused a while in rapt attention, even white teeth glistening here and there with gold points. Chrysostomos. Two strong, shrill whistles answered through the calm. Thanks, old chap, he cried briskly. That'll do nicely. Switch out the current, will you? He skipped off the gunrest and looked gravely at his watcher, gathering about his legs the loose folds of the gown. The plump, shadowed face and sullen, oval jowl recalled a prelate, patron of, this middle, patron of arts in the Middle Ages. A pleasant smile broke quietly over his lips. Wait, what year is this? Uh, you will find out. Goddamn. Would you like to know now? That's actually part of the part of the game here. Oh, okay. No. Would you like to know more? You sort of have to figure the it same out. Same thing, man. Love that movie. What is that? Starship Troopers. Oh my god. The mockery of it. He said gaily. <laughs> Your absurd name. An ancient Greek. Wait, that's from Gailey? That's why you're laughing? No, the mockery. It was a, a fucking uh, apropos at the time. He pointed his finger in friendly jest and went over to the parapet, laughing to himself. Stephen Dedalus stepped up, followed him, we followed him wearily halfway, and sat down on the edge of the gun rest, watching him still as he propped his mirror on the parapet, dipping his brush in the bowl and lathered cheeks and neck. Parapet? Parapet? So uh, on a gun rest... That where they are, you'll find out where they are down the road. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, it's fine. They're on Martello Tower, part of the okay, roof, it's in the Sandy Cove. Yeah, exactly. Like the so edge on of the, the roof, roof. Yeah. The, the, they're they're standing in a in a in a reapportioned re um, tower that used to overlook the ba overlook the bay. Okay. Um, in case for like uh, you know invasion, basically, or overlook the ocean, essentially. Gotcha. Um, so so the parapet is where the where they used to put the gun rest, but of course there are no more gun rests. A watchtower, exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. The cannons, basically. Okay. So, well, when you say Middle Ages, I that's why I was confused about what time we were. Oh, sure, so, yeah. Like, no, it just recalled a prelate is what that line was. I was just wondering if we were talking about real guns or yeah, no, like we're real guns. metaphorical, some other use Well, of gun. everything here is metaphorical. Right, but a gun rest is literally a place where you put your fucking gun. Yes, exactly, right. yeah. And then the idea of it being now where a place a person lives. Now I'm confused. Buck Mulligan's gay voice went on. 
His, his name is absurd, too. Malachi Mulligan. Two dactyls. But it has a Hellenic ring to it. Tripping and sunny like the buck himself. We must go to Athens. You, will you come with me if I can get my aunt to, sh to fork out 20 quid? He laid the brush aside and laughing with delight cried, Will he come? The Jejun Jesuit. Ceasing, he began to shave with care. Tell me, Mulligan, Stephen said quietly. Yes, my love? How long is Haynes going to stay in the tower? Buck Mulligan shoved a shaven cheek, or Buck Mulligan showed a shaven cheek over his right shoulder. God, isn't he dreadful, he said frankly. A ponderous Saxon. Did he give those to Sally selling in the seashells? Mm -hmm. He thinks you're not a gentleman. God, the bloody English. Busting with money and indigestion because he comes from Oxford. You know, Daedalus, you have the real Oxford manner. He can't make you out. Oh, my name for you is the best. Kinch, the knife blade. He shaved wearily over his chin. He shaved warily over his chin. He was raving all night about a black panther, Stephen said. Where is his gun case? A woeful lunatic, Mulligan said. Were you in a funk? I was, Stephen said, with energy growing energy and growing fear. Out here in the dark with a man I don't know raving about a raving and moaning to himself about shooting a black panther? You save men from drowning. I'm not a hero, however. If he stays on here, I am off. Buck Mulligan frowned at the lather on his razor blade. He hopped down off the perch and began to, sh to search his trouser pocket hastily. Scutter, he said thickly. He came over to the gun rest and, thrusting his hand into Stephen's upper pocket, said, Let me alone on your nose, nose rag to wipe my razor. Stephen, Stephen suffered him to pull, to pull out and hold up and show... God damn, I fucking am sorry. Stephen suffered him to pull out and hold up on, hold up on show... By a corner, a dirty for show. <laughs> Jesus Christ, a dirty crumpled handkerchief. Buck Mulligan wiped the razor blade neatly. Then, gazing over the handkerchief, he said, "The bard's nose rag, a new art color for our Irish poets." Handkerchiefs are disgusting. Not green. The bard's nose rag. The, yeah, the bard it, is Shakespeare. It, it was Shakespeare's. The bard is a poet, any poet. So Stephen Dedalus is a bard. The bard's nose rag, a new art color for our Irish poets. Not green. You can almost taste it, can't you? He mounted to the parapet again and gazed out over Dublin Bay, his fair oak pale hair stirring slightly. God, he said quietly, isn't the sea what algae calls it? The gray sweet mother, the snot green sea, the scrotum tightening sea, epi ornopa pontum. Ah, Daedalus the Greeks, I must teach you. You must read them in the original. Thalata, thalata! She is our great sweet mother. Come and look. Stephen stood up and went over to the parapet, leaning on it. He looked down over the water in the mailboat, cleaning the harbor in the mouth of Kingstown. A mighty mother, Buck Mulligan said. He turned abruptly, his great searching eyes from the sea to Stephen's face. The ant thinks you killed your mother, he said. That's why she won't let me have anything to do with you. Someone killed her, Stephen said gloomily. You could have knelt down, damn it, Kinch, when your dying mother asked you, Buck Mulligan said. I'm hyperborean as much as you, but to think of your mother begging you with her last breath to kneel down and pray for her, and you refused. There's something sinister in you. He broke off and lathered again, lightly his farther cheek. A tolerant smile curled his lips. But a lovely mummer, he mummered to himself. Kinch, the loveliest mummer of them all. He shaved evenly, with care, in silence, seriously. Stephen. Seriously, guys. An elbow rested on, the, rested on the jagged granite, leaning his palm against his brow, and gazed at the fraying edge of the shiny black coat sleeve. Pain. That was not yet the pain of love fretted his heart. Silently in a dream, she had come to him after death, her wasted body within its loose brown grave clothes giving off an odor of wax and rosewood, her breath that had bent upon him, mute, reproachful, faint odor of wetted ashes. 
Across the threadbare cuff edge, he saw the scene hailed as a great sweet mother by the wealthed voice beside him. The ring of bay and skyline held a dull green mass of liquid. A bowl of white china had stood beside her deathbed, holding the green sluggish bile which he had torn up from her rotting liver by fits of loud grunting vomiting. Buck Mulligan wiped again his nose or blade. Ah, poor His nose or blade? Sorry. <laughs> She's <laughs> Nice got a, lot, got a lot of nose hair. <laughs> ah, poor dog's body, he said in a kind voice. I must give you a shirt and a few nose rags. How are the secondhand breeks? Breeks? Yeah. Uh, trousers. Is that like short for britches? Mm-hmm. Very good. Hmm. Joey? <laughs> Acknowledge my greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. They fit well enough, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan attacked the hollow beneath his underlip. The mockery of it, he said contentedly. Second leg, they should be. I like contentedly better. <laughs> God knows what poxy bowsy left them off. I have a lovely pair with a hair striped gray. You look spiffing in them. I'm not joking, Kinch. You look damn well when you're dressed. Thanks, Stephen said. I can't wear them if they're gray. <laughs> you can't wear them, Buck Mulligan told his face in the mirror. Etiquette is etiquette. He kills his mother, but he can't wear gray trousers. He folded his razor neatly and, with stroking palms of fingers, felt the smooth skin. Stephen turned his gaze from the sea to the plump, pace, plump face with its smoke-blue mobile eyes. That fellow I was with in the ship last So night. this would be like the Benson interruption if it was like 200 years ago or something? If yeah. If he was like trying to, yeah. <laughs> 1922, this book was published. When does it take place, though? Do you want to know? Oh, that's part of the thing. Okay, never mind. Not really. You can, I mean, it's fine. 1904. Okay. It all takes place in one day, June 16th, 1904. All right. At the well, moment, we're talking to Stephen Dedalus and his friend Buck Mulligan hmm. on top of Martello Tower at around 8 a.m. on June 16th. All of this information is sort of hidden. Mm. The idea of this is it sort of unfolds as you read it. You're not really supposed to know what's going on. Spoiler alert. Exactly, yeah. You <laughs> actually you, have to kind of put these together. Do you follow Stephen Dedalus the whole time? No. No. You, follow, you go from character to character. Exactly. So this, is, this book itself is sort of a... Um, it's a reapportion, or like kind of a, it's a parody of the Odyssey. Okay. So that Ulysses, of course, was the Roman equivalent of Odysseus, right? So after the Trojan War, Odysseus, you know, tried to make his way home. Okay. Stephen is also a sequel to Joyce's earlier book, which was The Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Stephen Dedalus was the main character of that. And it took Stephen, it, we, we followed C Stephen from literally birth all the way up until like April 1904. <laughs> um, and the way that, the way that that book works is that it's the story of Daedalus. You guys know the story of Daedalus? Not a clue. So in Greek mythology, Daedalus was the forger. Okay, you'll know the end of this story, but I'll start from the beginning. That was He's, a satellite. Nice. He started off. Um, Did he fly too close to the? Sun? That's his son, Icarus. Very good. You'll know yeah. the end of it. Daedalus himself started off. Um, he was the forger. He was the great crafter. Right? He was a craftsman, and he um, was on. He was on the the island of. Um, oh my God! It was Queen Passive. No, it was Crete. It was, Crete, thank you. Queen Pasiphae. How'd you know that? That's good. Queen, you Queen Pass. Okay, Crete. Um, Queen Pasiphae wanted to fuck a bull. Okay. Hmm. Don't we so, all? So, I can't, you know, I can't deny that, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. He wanted to fuck a bull. Who doesn't? And so Queen Pasiphae had, um, had Daedalus forge a wooden bull hmm. um, that, that she could For climb fucking? into. Where, exactly. That she could climb into so the wooden bull would fuck it. Not really. It was, it was Queen Pasiphae. Queen Pasiphae eventually got pregnant and gave birth to the Minotaur. The king, King Minos, hence Minotaur, um, got crazy pissed that the Minotaur was existed in the first place and told Daedalus, you have to build something to kind of, you know, imprison this, this Minotaur. <laughs> um, Daedalus the built the labyrinth. Mm -hmm. 
this impossible maze to get out of. So impossible that while he and his son Icarus were building it, they themselves got trapped. They themselves got trapped inside of it with the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way to get it out, get out there was um, it, Daedalus forged uh, two sets of wings, one for his son and one for himself, out of feathers and wax. And they flew up, but he warned his son, don't fly too high mm-hmm. or you will go too close to the sun. The wax will, wax will melt and you'll fall into the ocean. Of course, Icarus didn't heed that advice, and the wax melted, and he fell into the ocean so and died. Stupid. And then Daedalus went and landed on his own island, and that's the end of that. So that's essentially the way that the the portion of the artist of the young man is crafted. Every little section of the five sections kind of follows that arc of a forging, a, a, a you know, an attempt to get out of a crazy maze, and then finally the ascension mm. into into heaven in a sense. And there's five sections of those. And the final one, of course, Stephen Daedalus, you know, throws off his religious past. Okay, he thought about becoming a priest. He thought about, you know, he was just deeply rooted in this. Um, had a bunch of trouble with, you know, prostitutes and all that shit and had an interesting kind Little of boys. Life. Exactly. <laughs> um, this is all in Ireland between about 1880, 82, I guess, and um, and finally 1904, which is when he, he went off to become an artist in Paris. Okay. This book picks up almost a month later. The reason he came back was his mom died. And as we saw just now, had to kneel beside her as she's dying, and she asked Stephen to pray for her, and Stephen refused. He refused to pray for her, um, and he's he troubled by this. Good for him. He's dealing with this, and now Stephen, however, is the not the protagonist of this book. He is the tel- he is Telemachus in the Odyssey. The Odyssey begins with Who Telemachus, Odysseus's son. Perfect, Telemachus's or Odysseus's son. Telemachus is still on Ithaca. Which one is George Clooney? George Clooney is Odysseus. Okay. Or Ulysses. Well, and in this book, we won't meet we won't meet our main character until chapter four. Uh, the first three chapters are eight AM, eight AM to ten AM, and then ten AM to eleven AM, and then eleven AM to twelve PM. Is Daedalus the Rosencrantz kind of Gilden No. Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead? Yeah. Is he, I know, but is he that of this story? No, ironically, he is the Hamlet in this story. Stephen Dedalus is the reincarnation of Hamlet in this story. Literally? Literally. Mm. Well, then the other way, who's the main character then? Literally? Would be Le- a character named Leopold Bloom. So is he the Rosencrantz? And- no, he is Ulysses. So he's the Gildenstern. He is, Od- he is Odysseus. He is neither. In Hamlet, he has no, he has no connection in Hamlet, other than perhaps um, King Hamlet, the ghost, even though he's alive. The little baby pig. Precisely. Precisely. You guys up to speed? So yeah. we're, we're not dealing with Stephen. You'll, you'll meet Leopold in about three months. Is Stephen, <laughs> is Stephen a soldier? Uh, no. No, this is 1904. So that's sort of the trick of this. Th- there this were book, soldiers in This book itself is set in 1922, or is, was written in 1922, right? So it's really kind of the beginning of modernist literature. What, hap- what was going on in 1922? What World had just War happened? One. World War One had just ended. A fucking entire generation of people had died, and everybody's trying to understand what the fuck just happened, right? So Joyce took us back to a simpler, quaint time, and in one very boring, very simple day where a bunch of people just fucking walk around thinking, that's quite frankly all that's happening in this book. People are walking around and thinking. I noticed. People he doesn't run into like a thinking. cyclops and shit happen. Well, yeah, but you know that's kind of that's you know yo gabba gabba by comparison to the fucking you know World War One. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the the cyclops chapter he basically argues about nationalism. That's it. That's literally it. 
Yeah, nothing really happens in this. Just people walk around, and there's there's an affair that's about to happen at four o'clock. His uh, wife's well, gonna fuck this other dude, and this Stephen is, is definitely about his mom. um, uh, what's the word? Um, a microcosm. It's it's representative of the feeling of disillusionment of that time. They kind of just were like, yeah, so disillusioned with demo- not democracies, nationalism, and yeah. governments, and everything. They're yeah. kind of just like, we're through with this. We want to just talk about something else yeah. completely different. In the end, this book is about nostalgia. You guys know the root of nostalgia, by the way. So, so no, there's nos. nostos. Nostos is is like home or like kind of a journey, like a journey to home. And then algia is sickness. They actually used to used to diagnose Greek soldiers with nostalgia, which was literally when you'd been away from home for too long and you had this like crazy depression kind of setting in. They they called it nostalgia, hmm. and it's it's just homesickness is really what it is for a simpler time, which is essentially what this book is. Make sense? Any other questions? No, please continue. Stephen turned his gaze from the sea to the plump face with its smoke-blue mobile eyes. That fellow I was with in the ship last night, said Buck Mulligan. Says you have GPI. He's up in Dottyville with Connolly Norman. General paralysis of the insane. He swept the mirror in half-circle in the air to the flash tidings abroad in the sunlight, in the sunlight now radiant on the sea. His curling shaven lips laughed and the edges of his white glistening teeth Laughter seized all his strong, well-knit trunk. Look at yourself, he said, you dreadful bard. Stephen bent forward and peered at the mirror held out to him, cleft by a crooked crack, hair on end, as he, stu- as he and others see me. Who chose this face? This dog's body to rid of vermin. It asks me to. I pinched it out in the skivvy's room, Buck Mulligan said. It does her all right. The aunt always says, the aunt always keeps plain-looking servants for Malachi. Lead him not into temptation. And her name is Ursula. Laughing again, he brought the mirror away from Stephen's peering eyes. The rage of Caliban at not seeing his face in the mirror, he said. If Wild were only alive to see you now. Drawing back and pointing, Stephen said with bitterness, It is a symbol of Irish art. The cracked looking glass of a servant. Buck Mulligan suddenly linked his arms in Stephen's and walked with him round the tower, his razor and mirror clacking in the pocket where he had thrust him. Not fair to tease you like that, Kinch, is it? He said kindly. God knows you have more spirit than any of them. Parried again, the fears of the lancet of my heart as I fear that of his cold steel pen. Cracked looking glass of a servant. Tell that to the oxy chap downstairs and touch him for a guinea. He's stinking with money and thinks you're not a gentleman. His old fellow made him made his tin by. Oh, selling. a guinea isn't a racial slur. It is not. Oh, it okay. is. A, it is a it's form a of foreign currency. currency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that that makes more sense. Selling jala to Julu, to Zulus or some bloody swindle or other. God, Kinch. If you and I could only work together, we might do something for the island. He does Hellenize sound like it. he's being racist, though. Oh yeah, a little bit. Okay, just making sure. Cranley's arm. Well, for nineteen. His arm. Yeah, I can't abide no racism. And to think the N-words in this book. Uh-oh. Think twice. Pun intended. Um, Buck Mulligan. Buck Mulligan, sure. Sounds like a golfing porn star. <laughs> it's true. Hmm. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Did he become a porn star after a professional golfer, or is he a porn star that became a professional golfer? Or did the two become, did he rise as one? Uh, all oh. I know is Tiger Woods is also a really good golf porn star name. You you realize mulligan isn't actually a golf term. It's a caddyshack term. The what? No, it's a caddyshack term. No, it's not. Caddyshack. It's a golf term. Sh- it didn't like originate in caddyshack. A the mulligan? Movie? Yeah. No. 
Really? Positive. <laughs> Come on, oh. seriously? A mulligan. Yeah. You know what a mulligan is, yeah? Yeah, it's when you re-swing. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. No, really? it was you a golf caddy shack caddy made shack. up that word. I totally did, yeah. No, nah, it's it, it was around long before. Wow. And to think of you having to beg for these swine. I'm the only one who knows what you are. Why don't you trust me more? What have your nose against me? Is it Haynes? If he makes any noise, I'll bring him down worse than Seymour and give him a ragging worse than they gave Clive Kempthorpe. Young shouts of moneyed voices in Clive Kempthorpe's room. Pale faces, they hold their ribs with laughter, the grasping one another. Oh, I shall expire. Break the news to her gently, Aubrey, I shall die. With slit ribbons to his shirt, whipping the air, and hops and hobbles round the table, with trousers down at his heels, chased by the aids of Magdalene, with a tailor's shears. Scarred calf's face, gilded with marmalade. I don't want to be debagged. Don't you play the giddy ox with me, shouts from the open window, staring in the evening in the quadrangle. A deaf gardener, aproned, masked with Matthew Arnold's face, pushed his mower on the somber lawn, watching narrowly the dances, moats of glass homes, to ourselves. New paganism. Homefellows. Let him stay, Stephen said. There's nothing wrong with him except at night. Then what is it, Buck Mulligan asked impatiently. Cough it up. I'm quite frank with you. What have you against me? They halted, looking toward the blunt cape of Brayhead that lay on the water like a snout of a sleeping whale. Stephen freed his arm quietly. Do you wish me to tell you, he said. He asked, I'm sorry. Yes, what is it, Buck Milligan? Buck Milligan answered. <clears throat> I don't remember anything. He looked in Stephen's face as he spoke. A light wind passed his brow, fanning softly, his hair <laughs> uncombed. <laughs> he farted in his face? Did I say fart? No, he said a light wind passed his brow. Fanning softly, his light uncombed hair and stirring silver points of anxiety in his eyes. Stephen, depressed by his own voice, said, Do you remember the first day I went to your house after my mother's death? Buck Mulligan frowned quickly and said, What? Where? I can't remember anything. I remember only ideas and sensations. Why? What happened to the name of God? You were making tea, Stephen said, and I went across the landing to get more hot water. Your mother and some visitor came out of the drawing room. She asked you who was in your room. Was visitor in quotes? No. Like an alien? Uh, many connotations there. Either a uh, tawdry lover or the monthly visitor or, um, you know, someone that wasn't supposed to be there. All accurate. Yes, Buck Mulligan said. What did I say? I forget. You said, Stephen answered. Oh, it is only Daedalus whose mother is beastly dead. A flush, which made him seem younger and more engaging, rose to Buck Mulligan's cheek. Did I say that? He asked. Well, what harm is that? He shook his constraint from him nervously. And what is death? He asked. Your mother's or your own or my own? You saw, her, you saw your own mother die. I see them pop off every day at the master in Richmond and cut them into tripes in the dissecting room. It's a beastly thing and nothing else. It simply doesn't matter. You wouldn't kneel down to pray for your mother on her deathbed when she asked you why. Because you have the cursed Jesuit strain in you. Only it's, in the, only it's injected the wrong way. To me, it's all a mockery and beastly. Her cerebral lobes are not functioning. She calls the doctor, Sir Peter Teasel, and picks buttercups off the quilt. Humor, humor her till it's over. You crossed her with the last death. You crossed her in death, and yet you sulk with me because I don't whinge with some hired mute from La Lutte's absurd. I suppose Wait, I did say it. Hold on, I have a question. Yeah, <laughs> you got lost there. So he insulted his mother... And he felt bad about it, and he was trying to defend himself? Stephen wouldn't bend down at, at his own mother's deathbed. And now, and right after that happened, he came to visit Mulligan. And Mulligan's, Mulligan said to, his, to Mulligan's own aunt, Oh, that's, that's just Stephen, whose mother is beastly dead. 
And, and now, he, was he apologizing for saying that she's beastly dead right here? Right now, he's he's just going off into this thing. He's like, I, absurd, I suppose I did say it. I didn't mean to offend the memory of your mother. Yeah. He, had, he had spoken himself into boldness. Stephen, shielding the gaping wounds which the world words has left in his heart, said very coldly, I'm not thinking of the offense to my mother. Of what then? Buck Mulligan asked. Of the offense to me, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan swung round his heel. Oh, an impossible person, he exclaimed. He walked off quickly round the parapet. Stephen stood at his post, gazing over the calm sea toward the headland. Sea and, oh, sorry. Sea and headland now grew dim. Pulses were beating in his eyes, veiled their sight, and he felt the fever of his cheeks. A voice within the tower called loudly. Are you up there, Mulligan? I'm coming, Buck Mulligan answered. He turned towards Stephen and said, Look at the sea. What does it care about offenses? Chuck Loyola Kinchin, come on down. The Satsanach wants his morning rashers. He the halted. fuck was any of that? The Satsanach? Sam Squanch? Morning rashers? A, a Sasquatch wants his morning rations. I think it's Sassanac, I'm sorry. Sassanac wants his morning rashers. Not a clue, man. If it's not a Sasquatch and it's not his food, I don't fucking know. Um, I, I believe, I could be wrong, I should have my notes with me. Um, it's, a, it's, an English, it's a slur on the English, but I'm not 100% sure. We can look it up in a second. Morning rashers, however, is just food. Okay, so morning rations. Yeah, the Sassanac wants his morning rashers, basically. Chuck Loyola. Loyola, of course, is Ignatius Loyola. The school Fa in Chicago? He was. He was a, he's the Jesuit, the founder of the Jesuit uh, religion. Yeah. Oh. Um, so Stephen's a Jesuit, and he's like, fuck, fuck being a Jesuit, Kinch. Kinch the knife blade, of course, this whole time, the knife itself, right? That's what he's been shaving with. The knife is sharp. No? You went with me? The razor blade? The razor blade? There was a razor blade. I remember that. Is stuff eventually going to happen? Exactly. Or... Like, <laughs> Are they just going to talk? They're just going to talk. Jesus. And, like, and his he, head halted again. He's going to talk moment. about them talking. Oh, man. His head halted again for a moment at the top of the staircase, level with the roof. Don't mope all day, he said. I'm inconsequent. Give up the moody brooding. His head vanished out of the drone of the descending voice boomed out of the stairhead. Oh, won't we have? And no more turn aside and brood upon love's bitter mystery. For Fergus rules the brazen cause. Wood shadows floated silently by through the morning pace from the stairheads seaward where he gazed. Inshore and farther out on the mirror of water. The cunt? Is that the seaward? The hairy seaward. Spurned by light-shod hurrying feet. White breast of the dim sea. The twining stresses two by two. A hand plucked the hair string, harp strings merging the twining cords. Wave white wetted words shimmering on the dim tide. A cloud began to cover the cover the oh my god! A cloud began to cover the sun slowly, shadowing the bay and the deeper green. It lay behind him, a bowl of bitter waters. Fergus's song, I sang it alone in the house. By the way, a cloud began to cover the sun slowly. Remember that. Wait, what was this? Fergus's song. <laughs> Fergus's song, yeah. Eric Fergus? Is that what he's talking about? He was talking about Fergus in a hundred years before it happened, man. For Fergus rules the brazen cause. That's the part that he was singing before earlier. Who's that? Fergus is I a sang deer. it alone in the what house. What is it, Fergus? That must be something. Holding down in the long, dark chords. Her door was open. She wanted to hear my music. Silent with awe and pity, I went to her bedside. She was crying in her wretched bed. Those words. Stephen loves bitter mystery. Where now? Her secrets 
Old feather fans, tasseled dance cards, powdered with musk, a god of amber beads in her locked drawer. A birdcage hung in the sunny window in her house when she was a girl. It'd be funny if you found her dildo. She heard of old Royce singing the pantomime of Turco the Terrible, and I laughed with others when he sang, I am the boy that can enjoy invisibility. Phantasmal mirth, folded away, musk perfumed, nor turn aside and brew. Folded away the memory of the nature with her toys, memories best, memories beset of his brooding brain, her glass of water from the kitchen tap when he approached the sacrament, a cored apple filled with brown sugar roasting for her on the hob in a dark autumn evening, her shapely fingernails reddened, the blood of squished lice from children's shirts. In a dream, silently, she had come to him, her wasted body within its loose grave clothes, giving off an odor of wax and rosewood, her breath bent over him with mute secret words, a faint odor of wetted ashes. Her glazing eyes staring out of death, the shaken bent of her soul, on me alone, the ghost candle to light her agony. Ghostly light on the tortured face, her hoarse, loud breath rattling in horror while all prayed on their knees. Her eyes on me strike down, Liliator rutalientium, te confessorum turma circumdet, eulatalentium te virginium chorus expatiat. I don't speak Chinese. Ghoul! Chewer of corpses! No, mother, let me be and let me live, Kent Chihoy. Do you mean to keep going? Uh, Honestly, I was going to cut you off at chapter one, but I don't know how far chapter one is. A long way. Really? A long way away. Tell me to go to anywhere you want. Pick Uh, a number. Yeah, we're a half hour at this point. Uh, It's really just a half hour? I mean, we just keep going. What's (laughs) What's a good part? Is there something cool that you want to show us? Um, sure. Well, what, what do we introduce to Leopold Blue? Maybe we should go there. And we're introduced to the we main can, the very Okay, so the funny important? part about this book is, yeah, so the first three chapters are all Stephen's day, right? So from 8 to 11, Stephen basically is doing more or less what he's doing now, right? He eventually goes down and has breakfast with, um... With Haynes and, and Mulligan. And I will describe this breakfast <laughs> in <laughs> great detail. Actually, no, chapters. believe it or not. Believe it or not, not really. It's not that crazy. It's it, A milk woman comes and then he kind of looks at that. But of course, the milk and woman actually is And the milk was white as snow and gray. <laughs> that part's not really, really true. Um, then he goes to, he goes to um, you'll like this little part, Joey. So then he goes to teach, right? In the very beginning of the teaching. Um, it was wonderful. And then I described <laughs> Here's it how chapter more time. The powder of the chalk did fall to the left. <laughs> Here's how chapter two begins. <laughs> what was the color or the texture of it. <laughs> Here's how chapter two begins. You, Cochran, what city sent for him? Tarentum, sir. Very good. Well, there was a battle, sir. Very good. Where? The boy's blank face asked the blank window. Fabled by the daughters of memory, and yet it was in some way, if not as a memory fabled it. A phrase, then, of impatience, thud of Blake's wings of excess. I, heard the, I hear the ruin of all space, shattered glass and top, toppling masonry. The time of one livid final flame. What's left us, then? I, I forgot the place, sir. 279 B.C. Ashlam, Stephen said, glancing at the name and date in the Gorsgard book. Yes, sir, he said. Another victory like that, and we are done for. That phrase the world had remembered. Remember what that is? Pyrrhic victory. Boom. Um, there's a little kid named Sergeant, Cyril Sergeant, in this section. Um, so here's the kind of, and this Armstrong is one of the kids' of the names. Um, Common, another one. The rapper? No. <laughs> He's from Chicago. One of the crazy things about that chapter, though, is um, <laughs> the commons in it. No, uh, so this is <laughs> He's all set. An immortal. In, this is all set in 1904, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yet the book is written in 1922, so we're reading it. So all these kids are dead. They're all dead. Because they went to World War One. Exactly. Hmm. And as they continue throughout that scene, they, you know, they ask Stephen to tell them the story. And they're like, yes, sir, a ghost story. And you start to realize this book is a ghost story. As, well, as is Hamlet. Then so is every book about people who eventually die. <laughs> Over a hundred no, no, years but, old. No, <laughs> no, but this is specifically a ghost story, like specifically structured that way. In other words, really? it's again, it's written in 1922 about 1904. It's, you know what I mean? So World War I has not happened yet. Well, is a Vietnam book about, is it a ghost story? If you write a book about, okay, if I is wrote Tim a book. Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried a Ghost Story. I don't know what that is. You know Tim O'Brien? No. I don't read any books that start with O'Brien. <laughs> oh, wow. That's interesting. I completely yeah, forgot that. He's one of the best writers of all time, and he's the same name as you. What's his last name? Yeah, I know what his last name is. What is it? Say it. Say it out loud. O'Brien. I will never read a book that, that even my own, if I ever write a book, I will never read it. What, what kind of weird? How are you going to edit it? Someone else. <laughs> An electable modality of the visible. At least have you seen Monty Python's Life of Brian? I have. Thought through my eyes. <laughs> Signatures of all things I it's am It's not Life of O'Brien. Sea Spawn and Sea Rack. Oh, Life of The Nearing Tide. Oh. Snot Green. Blue Silver Brian. Rust. Colored Signs. Limits of the Diaphane. The, okay, so anyway, I'll read chapter, okay, so chapters one is him just eating breakfast, all that shit. Chapter two, he goes and teaches a little <laughs> Sounds bit. Sounds like it. Chapter three, chapter three. Six old chapters are dedicated to the breakfast. <laughs> chapter three, he walks on the beach and thinks and his mind fucking goes Literally, so here's the opening of this. Does he drink? Oh, yeah, they drink and they get crazy. Like yeah, beer cool. or like whiskey? Whiskey. Bass, right? actually. What is that? Bass? Bass? Oh, the ale? Bass, Bass ale. Oh, wow. Now, the only way we actually know that, I can find it for you if you'd like. Yeah, I used to drink that, actually. It is my. Mm. It is among my favorites. The only way you actually know that. Are you sure it's not just like the juice of a bass? I'm positive. <laughs> but however, that is <laughs> they eat that fish, is a they fair- fish oil. Fermented fish oil? Yeah. <laughs> that is I'm not sure an unfair- Point. I'm gonna have to find this. Um, is Leopold Bloom Jewish? Yes, sir. Leopold oh. Stotch. That plays that <laughs> plays a huge part in this. Obviously, <laughs> I'll find it later. But basically, the way that we know it's Bass is they talk about Taurus, the constellation, and okay. and they're all sitting there while Mina Purefoy is giving birth. And it that whole section is the birth of language. It's extremely difficult. Who's to giving read. birth? I'm sorry. Who's a woman named Mina Purefoy is having a baby. Just, just random woman. Yeah, just a woman. Well, I mean, they've been talking about it throughout the book. Oh. Um, and while they're sitting there, literally the, lang the language is being born as they're speaking. That, that entire chapter starts off, Deshul Hamas Eumus, Deshul Hamas Eumus. Who's the boy? Wait, the kid's name's language? Uh, no. And then send us bright one, <laughs> light one, horhorn quickening and womb fruit. Send us bright one, light one, horhorn quickening and womb fruit. Deshul Hamas Eumus means uh, let's, let's go down to Hollis, basically. Queens? <laughs> Anyway, so <laughs> all that random shit. So then Stephen goes to the beach and fucking thinks a lot, all the time. Hope he brought a towel. And... Do you want to hear the opening of that? Is how fucking crazy that part is? About Go what he's thinking about? Thinking. Here's Bring what's going through his mind. Okay. Tell me if you guys can understand this. No. It, <laughs> ineluctable modality of the visible. No. Nope. <laughs> At least that, if no more, thought through my eyes. Signatures of all things I am here to read. Sea spawn and sea rack. Nearing tide, that rusty boot, snot green, blue silver, rust, colored signs, limits of the diaphane, but he adds in bodies. Then he was aware of them, bodies before them colored. How? By knocking a sconce against them. Sure, 
Go easy. Bald he was, and a millionaire. Maestro di color cesano. Limits of the diaphane in. Why in? Diaphane. A diaphane. If you can put your five fingers through it, it is a gate, if not a door. Shut your eyes and see. It honestly might as well be another language. <laughs> like, I could go on. for Your face is so funny right now. <laughs> anyway, so, so I can go in page by page. But Stephen is profoundly boring. He's profoundly sad and bummed and just whatever. And that's all Stephen's day. I got that much. The first three parts are tough. <laughs> then after all of that, we flash back to 8 a.m. And in his kitchen is Mr. Leopold Bloom. And here is where the fucking Bloom's Day begins. This is all part two. The Bloom comes off the rose. Wait, so we just heard Daedalus on the beach? That was all Stephen, yeah. Stephen Stephen Daedalus. Chapters one, two, and three is all Stephen. So now we finally get to Leopold. We flash back to 8 a.m. And this is what's happening with Stephen. In his kitchen. Exactly, with with Leopold Bloom. Huge M. Mr. Leopold Bloom ate with relish the inner organs of beasts and fowls. Mm, He liked thick giblet soup, nutty gizzards, a stuffed roast heart, liver slices fried with crust crumbs, fried hencods rose. Most of all, he liked grilled mutton kidney, which gave to his palate a fine tang of faintly scented urine. Kidneys were in his mind as he moved about the kitchen softly, writing her breakfast things on the humpy tray. Jelled light and air in the kitchen, but out of doors gentle summer morning everywhere. Made him feel a bit peckish. The coals were reddening. Another slice of bread and butter. Three, four. Right. She didn't like her plateful. Right. He turned from the tray, lifted the kettle off the hob, and set it sideways on the fire. It sat there, dull and squat. Its spout stuck out. Cup of tea soon. Good. Mouth dry. The cat walked stiffly round the table with tail on high. Oh, there you are, Mr. Bloom said, turning from the fire. The cat mewed an answer and stalked again, stiffing round a leg of the table, mewing. Just as she stalks over my writing table, Brr, scratch my head, Brr. Mr. Bloom watched curiously, kindly, the lithe black form, clean to see, the gloss of her sleek hide, the white button under her button of her tail, the green flashing eyes. He bent down to her and hands on his knees. Milk for the pussins, he said. Meow, the cat cried. They call them stupid. They understand what we say better than we understand them. She understands all she wants to, vindictive too. Wonder what I look like to her. I'd have a tower? <laughs> no, she can jump me. Afraid of the chickens, she is, he said mockingly. Afraid of the chook-chooks? I never saw such a stupid pussy to the pussins. Cruel, her nature. Curious mice never squeal. Seemed to like it. <coughs> the cat cried loudly. She blinked up out of her avid, shame-closing eyes, mewing plain- plaintively and long, showing her long, wil- milk-white teeth. He watched the dark eye slits narrowing with greed till her eyes were green stones. Then he went to the dresser, took a jug of... Hanlow's milkman had just filled for him, poured warm bubbled milk out of the saucer, set it slowly on the floor. She cried, running to lap. The movie in my head is Darren Aronofsky directs breakfast. <laughs> like jumbled close-up inserts of non-sequitur random bullshit that is trying to add up to something that doesn't matter. So, <laughs> I can dig into that if you'd like. Um, the idea of it ultimately boils down to every little thing in this means not one thing or two things, but the two things simultaneously. Literally every little thing. Um, the cat is Athena. 
It it just all feels so tedious. Oh, it's terribly tedious. <laughs> Next time, I'll bring you just for Academy's purposes. I'll bring you the book, and you can look at the fucking the amount of notes I've taken. <laughs> I have I have nine copies of this book. Jesus, that are just shredded with notes because I'm a psychopath. <laughs> So when you kill Obama, exactly, are you going to drop that? Which copy, I guess, are you going to drop? Uh, <laughs> it would probably be the most recent one or whatever I was reading at the time. Okay. But I would never kill Obama. <laughs> uh, of course. I need to. I'll show you guys some crazy. I'll bring it next time. It was uh, cool. And the problem is, the part that's more embarrassing is I'm like forgetting half of the shit that I should be telling you guys and remembering, <laughs> and I just don't remember it, hmm. which is terribly embarrassing. Oh, it's so embarrassing that you don't go deeper into this. Yeah, I yeah. have it all. I just don't. Rem I just don't remember it. Oh. <laughs> um. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Before you stop recording, do you want me to do a Hamlet monologue? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I could stop. Yes. <laughs> Whether I record it or not, it's happening. Which one? I assume you had one chambered. I don't I have know. A one. I have them all chambered. Give me the options. So we can either do to be or not to be. No. We can do, um, uh, what's it called? Um, oh my God. How does it fucking begin? It's got way less interesting. Whatever. It's different. It's more wow. interesting. Yeah. I have of late yet where for I know not. <laughs> Go do it. If it's, as long as it's not to be and not to be. I have of late, yet wherefore I know not. Lost all my mirth, forgone all custom of exercise. Appropriate so far. And indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you, this brave or hanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire, why it appeareth to me nothing more than a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. Oh, what a vapors. piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action how like an angel, in apprehension how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet, to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. Though by your smiling you seem to say so. I'm just kidding. I don't know, man. Wait, man delights not me? No, nor woman neither. Wow. Well, why did you smile at them when you said man delights not me? Because, my lord, if man delights not you, what base reason the players would be here? I don't remember the rest of it. Just remember the text before calling. I can't believe you guys are indulging me. What's wrong with you people? What the fuck is wrong with you guys? Do you want me to do? Do you want me to do the Wasteland by T.S. Eliot? Jesus, I know that whole play. Do you want to murder people out there? Do you oh, want them dude. to drive their cars into <laughs> the side of the road? There was no reason to record what we were just doing. I think you hate the audience more than Wheeler does. I don't hate the audience. You're punishing them. Do <laughs> we don't have an audience? We're not actually going to release this anywhere, are we? Don't release this anywhere. <laughs> we're going to release this on St. Patrick's Day. This was ridiculous. Oh wait, if we actually are going to release it, then I'm going to try to be more entertaining. <laughs> Should I be more entertaining? You were already entertaining. No, I wasn't at all. That was that's terrible. Cause, that's because the book is. Boring. That was embarrassingly bad.
You, did you stop recording? Or are you still recording? No, you're, you're still, still recording? Still recording. Do you want me to tell you the most pretty the prettiest part in this book? I'm yeah. literally torturing you guys. This is so yeah. funny to me. Do it. This is really funny that you guys are indulging me like well, this. Well, we're not we're gonna make fun of you. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? This is good. I why okay, first of all, you guys need to make me hurt me more. That's why I'm still going with this. Okay. Do, okay, do you want me to begin <laughs> do you want me to say the beginning of chapter eleven or chapter thirteen? Bankrupt yourself. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Six or one half that dozen. That means chapter other. 11, bitch. Chapter 11? Uh, well, they're both bankruptcy. Chapter 11 is the sirens chapter. <laughs> chapter 11 is the sirens chapter. It's music. The music chapter. So it begins with the overture. So every little sound that you hear. That's every the little the thing she does is huh? magic. I like any song that has cannons in it. It's a story song, too. Every little siren has its <laughs> magic. Bronze by gold heard the hoof irons and Perry. And, God damn it. Sorry. You fucked it up automatically. God. Start again. Bronze by gold, heard the hoof irons, steely ringing and pernithin, thin, thin, thin. Chips picking chips off rocky thumbnail. Chips, horrid, a go- and gold-flushed more. A husky fife note blue. Blue, blue bloom is on the gold-pinnacled hair. A jumping rose of satiny, breast of satin, rose of castile. Trilling, trilling. I, Dolores, peep. Who's in the peep of gold? Tink cried to bronze in pity. And a call, pure, long and throbbing, long and dying call. The Teletubbies? Soft word, well, but look, long and throbbing, so. the bright stars fade. Oh, winky, rose. winky, you know. Notes chirruping answer. Castile, the morn is breaking. Jingle, jingle, jaunted, jingling. Coin rang, coin clacked. Avowal, sonne, I could. Rebound of garter. Not leave thee. Smack, a cloche. Thigh smack, avowal, warm. <laughs> Sweethearts, goodbye. Jingle, blue. Bloom, crashing chords. When love absorbs war, war. The tympanum, a sail, a veil, a wave upon the waves. Lost. Thrustle fluted, all is lost now. Horn, ha horn, when first he saw, alas. You realize you're going to be a homeless man shuffling down the street reciting this. Alluring. Martha, That was inevitable. Clap, clap, clip, clap, clap, clap. At least they'll be reciting something sensible. God, he never heard an all. Deaf, bald Pat brought pad, knife, and took up. A moonlight night call, far, far. Did you put a knife in a cup? I feel so sad. P.S. So lonely blooming. Listen! The spiked... And winding cold sea horn, have you the each and for other plush and silent pearls? And she lists rhapsodies. Don't you? Did not. No. No. Relieve. Lid it with a cock and a cara black. Deep sounding do bend do. Wait while you wait, he he. Wait while you he. But wait! <gasps> Low in the middle earth embedded or Naiman Andy all gone, all fallen, tiny her tremulous fern fools of maiden hair, amen, her gnashed in fury. So I have no idea what's going baton, cool, on. Protruding. Bronze Lydia by Mina Gold by bronze by gold, an ocean green of shadow bloom, old bloom, one wrapped, one tapped with a cara and a crock. Pray for him, pray, good people, his gouty finger knacking. Big Ben, a Ben, big Ben, Ben. Lust rose, Castile of summer, left bloom. I felt so Just sad. Just reminds me of going to like the brooding white people Little poetry slams in high school. True men, like you men. We'll loft your chink with chink. Whoa, oh, dude. Damn, we're dude. bronze and new. Not cool. We're yeah. bronze from afar. We're hoofs, carah, carah, I mean, I know this carindle. is 1920s. Then, yeah. not till then, my beef done. Begin! That's the whole overture. That's an overture? <laughs> yeah, because then it goes, Bronze by Gold, Miss Deuce's Head by Miss Kennedy's Head, over the cross blind of the well, Holland Bar Hotel. I don't know what an overture is. Usually overtures are finished when you 
Aren't they done? That's the beginning of the. This is now the first movement because remember it began bronze by gold. Heard the hoof iron steel ringing and pernithin thin thin thin. So the whole you know that's where bronze by gold. And then it's right. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to hear the beginning of chapter thirteen? No. And then we'll go away. Nope. This will be the last thing you hear. Nope. Good. I'm gonna read anyway. Ever? Because I'm gonna kill myself. I guarantee you. Ruining books for us. I guarantee you like this part. They were already ruined. I guarantee you like this part. Give me, give me, give me. Enjoy my time. Give me, give me like a punishment if you if you hate this. What I'm about to read. That sounds dirty. Good point. You're right. Sorry. Tell me. (laughs) Give me a punishment, (laughs) but like not in the dirty way. (laughs) If I can fucking find it, Jesus Christ! I think I think I remember it. You'll play a game of truth or dare, and you'll give me a punishment. I'll sing the cure to you. Ooh. Okay, that's that works. Oh, I what? I genuinely hope you Do don't like this. Do we get like to pick then. the song? <laughs> Do you, well, I mean, you probably need like two songs. Uh, yeah. Oh, what a <laughs> schmuck! I had it. I know in the book tell book. me, tell me, tell me thing. So, is is there any anti-Semitism in this? Because oh yeah, pull balloon. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's in the Cyclops. Nineteen twenty-two. Oh, the Cyclops is a big Nazi. Sure. Before Nazis. <laughs> before Nazis. Yeah, well, no, it's close. Nazis a Nazi. Proto Nazi. Even even if you were before a Nazi, you were a Nazi. Nazi Tazi. You ready for this part? This is my favorite part of the book. I promise I will leave you with this. I want you to imagine what does happening. Leopold Bloom kill himself? <laughs> no, I'm not happy. What about Leopold Stark? Actually, this isn't my favorite part of it, but this is one of my favorite little sections. He dances himself to death. Mm. Are you ready? <laughs> Everyone knows it's butters. That's me. <laughs> the summer evening had begun to fold the world in its mysterious embrace. Far away in the west, the sun was setting. And the last glow of all too fleeting day lingered lovingly on Sean Strand, on the proud promontory of dear old Houth, guarding as ever the waters of the. Darren Houth. On the weed-grown rocks <laughs> along Sandy Mount shore, and the ice planet. Last but not least, yes. on the quiet church, whence there streamed forth at times upon the stillness the voice of prayer to her who was in her pure radiance, a beacon ever to the storm-tossed heart of man, Mary, star of the sea. And then Bloom watches a one-legged girl and jerks off. He what? Yeah. He watches a one? He watches a one-legged girl. Oh, a one-legged girl. And jerks off. And I'm sure it's nowhere near as interesting as that sounds. No, he- Because he, he describes her toenail, and then he describes her ankle, and then he describes her calf. No, actually, we don't even know that it's him. We, we see her leaning back, leaning back. How do you know it's a one-legged man. girl? He, he only starts and he, he just finishes on her knee. He doesn't even get up to the rest of her body. He's watching her. No, he's watching her from the side. And we only stick with the girl. We stick with the girl for this whole first half of this chapter. And she's just hanging out with her you know, sister and her son and her, you know, her friends or whatever. Or her, you know, whatever. And then we see, she sees a man and she just starts to imagine what his life is like and what life would be like for him and sees that he has this kind of longing and lust in his eyes. So she starts to lean back and open herself to him. And basic instinct. All this, and they're all, and the, her other friends are sort of excited because there's fireworks that are about to go out. But yet she just keeps lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting. And all of a sudden the fireworks go and go and go and the fireworks just explode. Then we cut to Leopold Bloom, blushed and hanging and uh notices that when she gets up to leave she's hopping on one leg and then in his post masturbatory relaxation he just sits and starts thinking about menstruation and shit like that give me a uh, vonnegut or a doug adams yeah i'll take that <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for all the fish. <laughs>